0: So we're continuing this series uh, in pursuit, and we are studying a letter, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Paul was in prison, most likely in Rome at the time, and he's writing to them in some very difficult personal circumstances of his own to encourage them to really live passionately for Jesus. And so the title for this weekend's message is Let It Shine, And I'm reading some verses from Philippians 2 and one verse from chapter 3. So here we go. Therefore, everyone say, therefore. Therefore, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself "'because you heard he was ill. "'Indeed, he was ill and almost died, "'but God had mercy on him, "'and not only on him, not on on him only, "'but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. "'Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him "'so that when you see him again, "'you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. "'So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy "'and honor people like him, "'because he almost died for the work of Christ.' He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And then chapter 3, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I love preaching. It's a great privilege to do that. And when I was in Bible school 300 years ago, we used to have preaching training Uh, classes. You, You might not think they did a great job, but we used to have these preaching training opportunities, and one rather horrifying aspect of that was something called Sermon Crit, which stood for Sermon Criticism, and the whole thing would work like this. Each student at one point in their Bible college education would have to preach to the entire school. You would preach, and I can still remember the experience, and then after you sat down uh, the professors would stand up, the other students would stand up, and they would tear the sermon to pieces. It was a wonderfully thrilling experience. And they told us, I can never forget it, they, they told us to watch out for repetitive habits in the pulpit. You see, this is a kind of a weird zone, because uh, you would notice any kind of uh, repetitive habits that I might have kind of acutely because um, I'm on the screen. And if I'm not aware of those habits, then they could sort of irritate you after a while. And I I said to Kay, look, watch out for that when when I'm preaching. Let me know. And she said, well, Jeff, this was years ago. She said, when you're preaching and you're a bit nervous, you tend to do this with your hair. that's why I don't have much left, I like, <laughs> I, I, I wiped it away. Uh, and then I had this other habit I developed because I would be preaching with a Bible in this hand and, and, and a microphone in this hand and then my glasses would slip down my nose. So now I've got a dilemma, what do I do? So I'd be preaching away and suddenly I'd go... <laughs> and people would jump in shock and... Some folks thought I was having a Holy Ghost manifestation, so they'd be shouting, more Lord, you know, and I was just adjusting my glasses. Repetitive habits and repetitive words that you use over and over again. I heard one preacher, and at the end of every sentence, he would go, yeah. God loves you, yeah. And he loves the world, yeah. And he wants us to share that message with the world, yeah. We need to get out there and share it, yeah. After 20 minutes of that, I wanted to say, I'm going to hurt you, yeah? (laughs) Paul's repetitive habit was the use of one word. If you study his writings, there's one word that he uses a lot, and it's the word, therefore, therefore. What he does is he states doctrinal truth and then he comes to a junction and having stated that truth, he says, therefore, and then he unpacks the ethical behavioral implications of the truth that he's just stated. You see that in Romans chapter 12. He talks about the mercy of God and then he says, therefore, let's offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In Colossians 3 and verse 5, He says, when Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. Magnificent doctrinal statement. Therefore, and then he teaches us the implications of that. And that's exactly what is happening here in Philippians. Those of you that were here last weekend will recall that Paul most likely borrowed an early Christian hymn that speaks, it's called the Canotic Hymn, that speaks about the humility of Christ. And now, having stated that truth, Paul does that thing again and says, therefore. Last weekend, we saw that we are to live as signs that point people to Jesus. And now, in this passage, the metaphor changes, and Paul says, therefore, and he tells us that we are to live like stars in a dark sky. Now there's some difficult language here. Uh, First of all, he describes the wider culture as a warped uh, and crooked uh, generation. Uh, Crooked and perverse is one one translation. Can I suggest that we do not go out to people this week and say, hello, you're all crooked and you're perverts. That's probably not going to be the best way and actually that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is borrowing language from Deuteronomy 32, which talks about people turning away from God and finding other gods. That's what he is describing. How true that is in our so called postmodern culture, where because we've lost a foundational story, we quite literally have lost the plot. And when you lose the story, you forget how to live. But God has always had persons or a people who could shine, who could be a light. Our our Jewish friends believed that Adam, that Adam was planted in the Garden of Eden together with Eve. They called Adam the light of the world. In fact, their translation of Genesis 3, when God comes into the garden and says, where are you?, Their translation is, where is the light? Adam was seen to be the light. And then the nation of Israel was supposed to be a lighthouse people. Chris Wright says that God chose Israel not at the expense of the rest of the world, but for the sake of the rest of the world. Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will also make you, this is a word to Israel, a light for the Gentiles. Shocking language to them that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. In Jesus' day, there was a common belief that the Torah, the law, was the light of the world together with certain prominent rabbis. But then Jesus stands up on a hillside and he speaks to his disciples with a crowd listening in and he makes the stunning statement, you are the light of the world of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And I love the way scripture is so consistent because now the apostle Paul writing to the Philippians says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And as the Philippians heard these words, they would suddenly get a sense of destiny because Paul chose the words very carefully. He is quoting from Deuteronomy 32. I mentioned that earlier, the crooked and warped generation. He is using Exodus language because you see God's people are a new Exodus people coming out of sin into the promised land. The Philippians would have known, the Jews among them, would have known that he's making reference to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Do you see the Old Testament connections here? And then he's also pointing forward to the fullness of eternity. Revelation 21, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Here's the news. God wants us to be signs, God wants us to shine like stars to not only point to Jesus, but draw people to Him. I was reflecting this week on a missionary hero, uh, Gordon Maxwell. He went to India as a missionary, and his behavior, his conduct, his kindness, his commitment were very evident to everybody he met. One day, he went to a Hindu gentleman and asked him if he would teach him the local dialect and language. And the Hindu gentleman said, I can't do that, sir, because you will convert me to Christianity. And Maxwell said, my agenda is not to convert you, I just want you to teach me the local language. Uh, But the gentleman said, I will not, for no one can live with you and not become a Christian. And when I read these words and just chatting in between services with a missionary from Brazil, recognizing a couple of things, first of all, we need to discover more of the stories of great missionary heroes, some of them who who knew that they were never going to come back from the field, such was their determination. But what a, what a challenging life. I can't teach you because... No one can live with you and not become a Christian. Amazing. So how can we do that? Well, let's dive into the, the outline, and, and let me just say that you have a bulletin there, and you can fill in the blanks if you would like. And if you don't want to fill in the blanks, could I just ask you to help me by pretending that you're filling in the blanks? And, and then every now and again, just go, just nod like this. Just go, wow. Awesome. And he dances, too. Just just, just kidding. Number one. Number one, how can we live like stars? Well, first of all, let's partner with God, working out our salvation. Partner with God, working out our salvation. A difficult verse here. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. A superficial reading of that would suggest that we are saved by works which is totally contradictory to everything else that Paul says about our salvation. How many know that we are not saved by our good works, but by the grace of God? Salvation begins and ends with Jesus. That is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is talking about us working out the implications of our salvation in our behavior, in our lives, and he's painting a picture of a partnership of us working out our salvation, verse 12, as God works in us, verse 13. And this power within, have you ever experienced that power? I certainly have. That power within, that power that doesn't come from us, and it's God working in us and not just merely with us. It's this inner impulsion. Have you experienced that when temptation has come? And suddenly, you've been surprised because there was this impulsion within you that was more than just aspiration. Like this power rose within you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes we focus on the negative aspects of being human and we forget that there is this truth that God is at work in us, but that may require us to to wrestle, to, to struggle, to obey in what the late, great Eugene Peterson described as long obedience in the same direction. When I was growing up in the East End of London, we had uh, some family members who lived across the street from us. Um, my auntie Hetty and my uncle John. And I can remember going to their home on Saturdays, Hetty loved to watch the wrestling. You know, like WWF, like that kind of stuff. No one gets hurt, but they all pretend they do. And my Auntie Hattie, a, how do I describe her, a significant lady, uh, married to my Uncle John, a small man, therefore, mildly terrified. And they would sit on the love seat with a couple of gigantic cups of tea, not iced tea, hot tea, iced tea is demonic. They would sit there, and, um, and, and initially, she would be quite demure like a British lady. But as she got into the wrestling, she'd start to yell and shout, "Go on, get him, get him! And she really got into it. After a while, Uncle John would find himself in a half Nelson. It was really... Wrestling is tough. I want to ask this question. I'm asking it of me as well as you. Where, where have we wrestled because of our faith? Where have we struggled? Where have we abandoned the T-shirt that says that says, just do it. There was a phrase that went around, it was very popular some years ago, let go and let God. That is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying there is power within you, but, but work it out, struggle, wrestle. Do we have a faith? That is kind of casual. Have we ever wrestled? The old phrase they used to use was, praying through partner with God, working out our salvation. Secondly, let's partner in unity. Partner in unity, not grumbling our way through life. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Have you ever met people who are compulsive complainers? Um, Are you a compulsive complainer? How do you know? Well, if you're a compulsive complainer, Nothing's ever good enough. Doesn't matter how good it is, you're still irritated. We have a really, you know, like we could have a really good service here at Timberline and we raised 25 people from the dead, that'd be cool. But you're still irritated because it took 10 minutes extra time to clear the caskets away. You're still not totally happy about that. And you've got a victim mentality. Everything's a conspiracy against you. I went downtown Fort Collins today and I couldn't find a place to park. (laughs) You derive pleasure from complaining, so much so that you are actually disappointed if there is nothing to complain about. You find power in it. You relish conflict. You love an argument. You are always right, at least in your own eyes. This is a way of drawing attention to yourself. And the volume and strength of your complaint usually exceeds the level of the problem. If you want to observe this in action, go to Denver Airport. I do not like airports. They are emotional black holes filled with people who are only there because they want to be somewhere else. True? Yes. This explains why the complaining level goes up. And Fred, who is booked into row 24, discovers from the gate agent he's in row 25, and he pebble dashes the gate agent with spit shouts, screams, pounds the counter, and then thinks that this is going to help his cause. And Paul says, don't be walking through life always grumbling and complaining, and he he really wants them united. If you go over to Ephesians, where he talks more about unity, he actually uses a very strong word. Effectively, he says, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to be united. Maintain your unity. Make every effort. And the language that he uses is the language to describe a God who is uh, guarding a treasury. Guard your unity as something that is, is priceless. Uh, I, I mentioned last weekend that Kay and I um, are applying for American citizenship. And um, the Queen has been in touch. She watches online, you know, and she's, she's kind of irritated, but I said, hey, honey, sort out your own family, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Look at you. You're Americans, and you're saying, don't you mess with that queen. What are you thinking? So I decided, because I'm going to be an American citizen, I need to sort out this football thing, because uh, I don't get it. It's a bunch of guys with crash helmets beating the living daylights out of each other and then stopping to measure the field every five minutes. I don't know. So I got football for dummies, but that, so that does not work. So now I've ordered football for really stupid people. That's in the mail. Um, but I, I know this. If I was a defender for the Broncos, what a possibility that is. <laughs> and someone the size of a refrigerator, I understand there's a football player called the refrigerator, is that true? Some, see, I'm enhancing my knowledge. Uh, someone like huge like that was charging towards me, can I suggest that I would need to adopt an aggressive stance? It would be no good me saying, listen, person who looks like a refrigerator, stop right there, otherwise there is a possibility I might jolly well, hurt you. <laughs> no, I would need to be aggressive about it, and that's what Paul is saying. Be aggressive about guarding your unity. It's, it's stuff like, yeah, we've got opinions and perspectives, but like, no, don't gossip that's practical i mean i'm looking at you you're the 10 o'clock clap crowd you know and i know none of none of you gossip you share <laughs> but the apostle paul is reminding the philippians that part of shining like stars is the maintenance of their unity uh, years ago when we were living in oregon a friend of mine took me duck hunting once. And uh, we went out there and in the first service this morning I said we sat in a duck hide. And I was corrected on that, it's a blind. I understand. Is that right? See how much I'm learning? And, uh, and you, you, uh, you imitate a duck with a duck call and then Donald shows up. <laughs> the duck that is, just in case you were confused. and. Uh, Boy, I'm really going for it today, aren't I? <laughs> Anybody listening to this online and you're offended by any of this material, I, Pastor Darry, apologize. <laughs> My friend, and, and so they fix their wings and then you, and then you shoot it, right? And... And, uh, but before, on one occasion before he took me, he was out there in the duck blind with his feet out in front of him. And here comes the duck and he's trying to follow it down. Poof! Y- oof- uh, blew three of his toes right off. It's so funny. I'm looking at you and some of you are trying to look compassionate, but you just want to laugh out loud. I can, I can see it. It's just rude. Blew three of his toes off. You know what we do when we gossip, when we're angry with each other? We shoot ourselves in the foot because we're saying to a world, God is love, but then the way we live is contradictory to that. Let's Let's not go through life grumbling and let's guard our unity. Thirdly, let's partner in the gospel, in word and life. Let's partner in the gospel, in word and life. Verse 15 and 16, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And one translation is as you hold out the word of life. The context for this passage, everybody, is missiological. What does that mean? The whole thing is about shining, reaching, sharing the gospel. Here's a question I'm asking of myself. Whatever happened to evangelism? When I was a new Christian, we used to get together at the youth youth group every week and here's how the conversation would go. It would go like, hey, can we pray for John? I was talking to John this week about Jesus. I think he's really close. There was this culture of expectation that we would talk about our faith. And something's happened. It's Christianity in in the first century. People were required to take a pinch of incense, uh, of worship to the emperor, and announce that Caesar is Lord. And that's where the Christians got in trouble. And I'm wondering if we've taken a pinch of incense and we worshipped a God called Tolerance. And any kind of conviction or sense of Jesus being the only way, it's almost like we're feeling awkward to, to say that. And also, some of our evangelism in the past, it was more like reading a script than it was sharing your story. You say this and you hope they'll say that and then you say this. And no one wants to hear a script being read to them. I, I had to call my f- cell phone company recently, and they played me 20 minutes of music to go mad by. And, and then this lady came on the phone, and it was obvious she was reading a script. And she said, um, she said Mr. Lucas, your wife is the primary account holder. Is, is she with you? And I said, yeah, we're, we're still together. And, uh, you know... Been some challenging moments along the way, but thank you for asking. (laughs) And I said, Yes, she is. She's right here. And then this lady, she said, And are you your wife's husband? (laughs) Yeah. That's why she's called my wife. But what was happening here? She was reading a script. And I think sometimes we did that in the past, and I'm asking God to help me get my voice back. I struggle with this. I used to pray that when I got on an airplane that I'd sit next to someone that I could share Jesus with. You know, I'm going to just be honest with you. Now I pray that there won't be anybody sat next to me. (laughs) I'm not proud of that. And I'm going to rattle through this and probably drive our friends crazy over here, but let me just rattle through these really fast. Paul's a gospel guy. He's set apart for the gospel, Romans 1. He's eager to preach the gospel, Romans 1.19. He fully proclaimed the gospel, Romans 15. He has an ambition to preach the gospel, Romans 15. He's a father in the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4. He'll put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9. He's fearlessly making known the mystery of the gospel, Ephesians 6. Partner in the gospel, Philippians 1. Defense of the gospel, Philippians 1. Live lives worthy of the gospel, Philippians 1. The hope held out in the gospel, Colossians 1. He's entrusted with the gospel, 1 Thessalonians 2. It's a glorious gospel, 1 Timothy 1. He's in chains for the gospel, Philemon 1. It's his gospel, 2 Timothy 2. He's a gospel guy. And I'm just asking the Lord to... I don't want to read scripts to people, but I want to get back to that place of being able to naturally share Jesus. I... I had that opportunity yesterday. We, we have a, uh, we work with a travel agent and she's, you know, for flights and stuff and she's in Arizona. And whenever I email her or call her, she always comes right back, almost within an hour. She's terrific. And I contacted her a week ago and we heard nothing. And I, a day later, I left a phone message. We heard nothing and I sent another email and we've never met this lady, but we were, st- starting to feel quite concerned about her. Finally, yesterday morning, I, 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 I called again, and she said, oh, I'm so sorry that I didn't get back to you. I said, don't worry about that. I said, I'm just happy that you're alive, because I was worried about you. Kay and I were concerned, and, and, she, and she said, well, she said, this week my best friend had a, cancer, a terminal cancer diagnosis completely out of the blue. And she said, I just dropped out of sight and uh, I'm just devastated. So I thought, okay, well, what, what do I say? So, so I said, well, can I just tell you, because she doesn't know this, I said, can I just tell you that I, I'm a pastor? Now, I'm almost hesitant about saying that because it's a bit like sharing that you have a highly contagious rash. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I said, I'm a pastor, and I, I said, can I ask, if, would you mind telling me the first name of your friend, if you're comfortable. Just the first name, and she told me. And I said, well, Kay and I will be praying for you and for her this week. And the phone went quiet, and she's suddenly choking back tears. And I didn't then immediately say, by the way, did you know that Jesus wants to save you and rescue you? Because that wasn't the, where the conversation was going, but... From what she said to me when I hung up, I really believe that there is going to be an opportunity to share something of the love of God with her, and it was painless. Are there people in our lives that we think they're going to reject what we say? We've assumed we're going to get the cold shoulder, but are they just waiting for the gospel news? Let's partner with God in the gospel, in word and life. Well, the last thing is this, and that is let's partner in growth, shaping and being shaped. Partner in growth, shaping and being shaped. But you know, Paul refers here to two two of his mentorees. You know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And then he says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Paul is pouring his life, has been pouring his life into these two guys. Here's a question. Are we investing in anybody? And are we being invested in by anybody? And and let's think more broadly. What are our relationships like? Are our relationships, our friendships, are they exhortative where we spur one another on in Jesus, or are they permissive? What do I mean by that? I've been in situations with a group of Christians, and we're chatting away, and then suddenly someone cusses, a mild cuss word. And here's what I notice happens. Ten minutes later, someone else who never cusses, suddenly cusses, because they've been given permission by the group. It's a permissive relationship. Or we can be in exhortative relationships, and I won't embarrass them, but there are people in this room right now that Kay and I love to be with as friends, not just because we laugh a lot together, but because when we get together, Jesus is around. And we talk about his stuff, and our lives, and and at the end of the evening, I feel like, yeah, I, I want to do this. Have we got people speaking into our lives? Are we speaking into the lives of others with all of the appropriate safeguards that are needed in these days? That's why Kay and I are getting together with Pastor Dick and Ruth Foth tomorrow night. Why? Because Dick knows stuff. And Ruth knows more, but she's just quiet about it. I think of um, when I was first a Christian. There was a guy in our church called Peter. He'd been a pastor, a very successful pastor. He was struck down by multiple sclerosis. He was homebound in a wheelchair. But Peter decided that he was not going to stop serving the Lord because of his MS. And I'd go around to his home, this brand new Christian, with my list of questions. And he never made me feel stupid. And he graciously helped me in my confusion. And I think I'm here today, partly because he decided he wanted to invest. Who are we investing in? Who's investing in us? Last night, a lady came up to me, Big smile, and she told me about her 92 year old friend Maxine, who's now with Jesus, a pastor's wife that served in ministry for years. And she said, Maxine's prayer every day was, Lord, today I want to learn. A posture of lifelong learning. And the Apostle Paul, as he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, He is exposing us to that culture of mutual sharing and learning. So, before we pray, here are some takeaways for the week. The first one is this, where where do I need to wrestle in order to obey? Are, Are there areas where we've raised the white flag of surrender but God is calling us to work out our salvation as He works in us? And Perhaps to struggle in those areas, but know his help. And then where is my influence, and who is influencing me? How about we think about that, and consider that. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to shine, but we recognize that that will not come from our own Source our own power. It is your work in us by your Spirit. Would you help us to know where we need to wrestle, to work out our faith, to not take a passive attitude of surrender? Help us to know what it means to live lives that do not descend into endless grumbling and complaining. And for those of us who find ourselves deriving pleasure from pointing out the problem may we know Lord that yes we can have opinions and expectations but help us not to grumble our way through life we want to pray about this issue of sharing our faith holding out the word of life as we hold to it would you give us opportunities this week to share something of the love of God Yes, to live it, but also perhaps to talk about it. I want to give space in this prayer moment for us as our heads are bowed, perhaps to pray for somebody in your family or friendship circle. And you know that you're not the answer to their life, but it could be that a word from you could be helpful. Why not pray for them right now? Why not ask the Lord for opportunity to speak? And then, Father, as we think about what it means to be lifelong learners, to posture ourselves in that attitude, help us to know how we can invest and be invested in. We pray for our friendships with other believers. they will be healthy, exhortative, encouraging, provocative. Help us, we pray, because we want to shine. We agree together. In Jesus' name, everybody said...